Williams holds, still up centering, pack scores! He's done it! Finally, Tyler Bertuzzi finds the back of the net! <laughs> yeah, it felt good. Um, you know, I hit the post earlier, just before, and um, yeah, it felt good to see it going. You just thrilled for him. Got himself to a really good spot, and uh, as much as Austin's been shooting the puck, and then at the time, I thought the pass by Austin was world-class tonight, too, there. So uh, yeah, it was great to see Austin watch that play. Austin, to me, is, he's, he's waiting for the right opportunity. He's looking for that, that stick of Bertie. It was a priority for him to give him that one. Uh, he's the magician. Fan morning no, show. No, that's the other guy. Fan morning show. Sports at 5, 9 of the fan. Ben Ennis. Brent Gunning. Give Tyler Bertuzzi now seven goals. So he's he's trying to keep Bobby McMahon at bay, right? Like That's that. right. <laughs> Down, boy! <laughs> God, just quickly, I know we're talking Bertuzzi here. Yeah. When Robertson shot that one in the net, I thought it was McMahon for half a mm-hmm. second. Because, again, I can't just sit and watch a Leaf game. I have to play hockey while I do it. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was so happy that we were going to get Matthews McMahon hat tricks in the same game. And obviously I'm happy for Nick Robertson and himself, but for half a second when Robertson shot it in, I did think it was McMahon. That would have been something. God, it would have. Three straight games with hat tricks for Toronto Maple Leafs, Bobby McMahon, and then Austin Matthews with consecutive. Yeah, Bobby McMahon had two on Saturday against the Ducks. Give him now seven this season. And uh, yeah, Tyler Bertuzzi now also has seven his first since December 27th, assisted on the power play by Austin Matthews, who also scored goals number 46, 47, and 48 in mm-hmm. the hockey game. He's on pace now for more than 74 uh, goals this season. Morgan Riley missing yet another game. What ha- has, what's going on? Did I miss so, it? So No, he had his sit-down with Gary on Friday at noon, appealing his five-game suspension. Yeah. By all accounts, the timeline on these things are like one to three days. You get a resolution. Sure. Um, I think everybody's of the opinion that if it if it is reduced, it's by one. I mean, going back to the Jason Spets of it at all, mm-hmm. who had his six gamer reduced to four, despite the fact that he had already served five, which is nice, real, real, real pleasant. Yeah, it's great. Leafs also now improved to seventeen two and one over the last two seasons without Morgan Riley. And Saturday, I know, like these, you can. Take each example and be like, well, that's, it's the Ducks. Like, come on, what are we doing here? It's only three games now this season. It's 15 of them a season ago. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was more than that. It was 15 over that month stretch they missed. I think they missed 17 mm-hmm. in total last season. The numbers are starting to get staggering. Not, I mean, it's not as stark as the, the Tavares numbers where the Leafs literally haven't dropped a point with John mm-hmm. Tavares out of the lineup the last two, two seasons. But... How do you think Morgan Riley feels about this team playing so well without him? Great. He's the he's the captain in, in all but name. He's the heart and soul guy. I think he loves, loves, loves it. You asked me what it meant after the first game, and I said, okay, let's see how it looks the next game. And guess what? The next game looked very different from yeah. the first game, and then Saturday night was completely I don't even know if they played hockey. It was no, like that. What's that's that? Not hockey. What's that? Spot? Is it Bandy, the one with like the huge nets that they play, and the ice is like way, mm-hmm. way, way bigger? That's what that felt like on on Saturday night. So I hear what you're saying, and hey, the numbers say what they say. We've seen what we've seen, but with this iteration of the Leafs yeah. team, and we have to talk about it as a completely different animal because all the teams that Morgan Riley has played on, and when the team is missed, that was a different group than mm-hmm. this group here. 
we've seen them play three completely different hockey games without him in the lineup. So I'm not saying there can't be takeaways. I just, if you have one, I'd be glad to hear it because I don't know what to take away when no, they these play three, three games, completely different games. They've been totally him. different, and the sample is small. Like, I don't know if you can extrapolate the sample over two seasons. The numbers are staggering over the two seasons, but I think what we saw in that month sample that he missed last season without TJ Brody was like, that was indicative of some great coaching and maybe some, some better depth defensive play uh, than we could have expected rightly without Morgan Mm -hmm. Riley for 15 games. That's, that's a different animal. What we've seen, you're right to point out the different nature of all three of those games. Mm -hmm. Blues game was amazing. That was a team that was like, Hey, look what we're going to do here without our, our best defenseman Mm -hmm. and limiting the blues to 15 shots against flyers game was not good. Like they got outplayed. Not pretty... just their best defenseman, like all the players. Yeah, all the yeah, yeah against the Blues. Yeah, uh, and at the Flyers game, they were awful in the first period, mm-hmm. and then they got Austin Matthews doing yeah, he was one good. a one man show in the second period, and then they're like, oh, the game's over, and then but then blew the lead and ended up winning in overtime. And then I, you're right, to, did not even talk about Saturday as a hockey game because it wasn't. No, uh, but as it stands right now, Maple Leafs find themselves back in a top three spot in the Atlantic division. Sorry to hear that for you. I know it's been a big hobby horse years that they're going to miss playoffs all year. I haven't (laughs) said that. I just wondered how tooth and nail they will be fighting at the the end of the season to get into the playoffs. But yeah, they leapfrogged the Lightning, uh, who are a point back of them, but the Leafs also have three games in hand. They also have two games in hand on a Bruins team that all of a sudden has fallen on hard times, loses a four consecutive. Leafs are nine points back of them. They're 10 points back of the Panthers, who they also have two games in hand on. Okay, let's do this. I got another either or for you. Sure. What's more likely? Okay. What's more likely? And I feel like I need to up the number now. Oh, no. Okay, Austin Matthews scores. Let's just put it at his pace. 74 goals. Or the Leafs win the Atlantic division. Oh, it's more likely Matthews scores 74 goals, I think. I think it's more likely that he scores 74 goals than the Leafs win the Atlantic division because you would normally say that they're going to go hand in hand, but guess what? He's been doing this all year long and they're in the exact spot they're in and the goaltending, it might get better when Joe wall comes back. I really, really hope it it does quite, quite frankly, but I'm not holding my breath on that. It's a young goalie coming back from a long, long injury layoff. So I think it's more likely he gets 74, and I've been the guy saying he's not going to crack 70 all year long than it is they win the Atlantic. A big part of that as well is that the Leafs have been great lately, 7-3-0 in their last 10 games. The Panthers are 9-1-0 in their last 10. You can't make up ground on that team right now. You've been playing as well as you possibly can, and you've lost points in, in your last 10 on them. So that's the other part of it is that Boston, can they catch Boston? A thousand percent. I don't know that they're going to catch. I don't think they will catch Florida. I, I mean, say. just, okay, from a points perspective and a games played perspective, there's only one point difference between the Bruins and the Panthers. So yeah, yeah but like, night and day in terms I of the way I get it. I've also seen them play the Panthers and haven't looked like they, they don't look like they're, they're miles apart from anybody except for like maybe that avalanche game. They look mm. like that was a team on a different level, but, you know, maybe you catch them at a different point in the season. We'll see. They got the Golden Knights on the road yep. where I don't know if they have a... Well, the Leafs I, have also done that to the Avalanche in years yep, past as yeah, well. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if the Leafs have a, a planned excursion to the Sphere, although I guess like U2's going to be done at the Sphere. Yeah. I don't know by the time that they've arrived. Like you obviously, you, you saw the... Yeah, the, I'm aware the Sphere exists. I know I know you think I don't leave my house, but I don't go on the internet. I know what the Sphere is. Yeah, but yeah, are you aware of the Predators' Sphere 
What? Oh, oh, you, oh you no, I have no this? idea what you're talking about. I saw a guy climbed it and, and did like a kajillion dollars of damage. I saw that much. No, the Predators players were okay. all set to go to, to the, the sphere because okay. they have a game coming up tomorrow okay. in Vegas, except they lost a game at home oh, to so the Devils, and then they lost a game at home to the Stars by the tune of 9-2 to two or 7-2. Okay. to two. And Barry Charles was like, hey, you know that? Trip you guys were going to take to the Sphere? Guess what? Not happening anymore. Sphere trip canceled, including some staffers that were all going to make the trip to the Sphere as well. It's really not fair to the They staffers. wiped the slate clear, clean when it came to the Sphere. Oh, yeah, it was a real, mm. real to-do on the I, Hockey I Night got, panel yesterday. I was going to say, Saturday. Uh, just like, good job to the hockey men on that one. That's very on brand and mm. good. Play better if you want to go to the Sphere. Uh, this insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider, Gord Stelic, co-author of Revival, the chaotic, colorful journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, co-written with Damian Cox. How's it going, Gordo? Well, it's good, and I think Ben mentioned it's a it's a wonderful um, <clears throat> family day uh, gift, right? Under the family day bush or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm, that's right. The book or whatever, or maybe uh, we maybe all the go people. shake the family day bush. Everyone knows that's that. that. Yep. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, so maybe that doesn't sound right, but anyway, uh, uh, all good. And uh, <laughs> what a! I'm glad you're good because last year you you uh, you didn't uh, you didn't get to go to the sphere. You had you had a veil after an hour. You were under the everyone was under the weather last week. Right? Yeah, yeah, we were. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you. Yeah, uh, yeah that's right. I. Uh, you yeah. didn't get to talk to Gord last oh week. Oh my God! I. You know what? I actually should have stayed on sick as a dog just to talk to you because if anything could have boosted my spirits in that moment, it certainly wasn't mm. Ben at six fifty in the morning. But you at seven ten might have been just the tonic I needed, Gordo. Well, uh, anyway, that would have been, but I'll tell you, not going to the sphere, that's old school. Like, I, I can remember getting on the plane after a loss, and some guy would all of a sudden cover the beer. No beer for you. No beer for you guys. <laughs> like, you know? Jeez. Oh, my God. That's, uh, that would be devastating. <laughs> yeah, cancel my sphere whenever you want, but don't don't cancel my beer uh, yeah. on the bird. That would be bad. Um, So... I, I can. I just have to say it. All I can think about right now is that least fishing trip in Florida when they went out fishing. Now they did the thing before and then got pumped. Right. But this is all I can think of is that God. Could you imagine if the Leafs had like a fit? How much would we have loved that story here if it if the re- results were reversed? If we found out they had a deep sea fishing excursion, can you but imagine? then they got pasted in Florida by the by the Panthers, and you said no, Sheldon's taking the boat keys, and you can't go. We would have loved that story here. Yeah. Not likely to have happened. No, God, no. Gordo. So, Austin Matthews has six hat tricks this season. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. Uh, You're in a position of power in this Toronto Maple Leafs team in 88-89 when Mario had nine. He had nine hat tricks that season. Put up 85 goals. Do you remember what it was like when he came to Maple Leaf Gardens? Do you remember watching that season unfold? I think all nine were against us. So I think I remember. Yeah, actually, I, I do. Uh, I, you know, it's funny because you go back to it and you look at uh, Mario's first six seasons, five of the six years the Penguins did not make the playoffs. I mean, that's how hard it was to rebuild. You forget that. And then they won two consecutive cups. But, yeah, I do. I do. I didn't remember the number, you know, until I got reminded about it. But I remembered about the Terry was on and, and getting all those hat tricks. And, and, I, and I do find it's funny, Ben, that uh, – you know, at first, when, he, when Austin Matthews got his fifth, a lot of people thought, wow, only his fifth career hat trick. 
no, this season, right? And then, <laughs> then he gets six right after, and you're going, holy crap. So, yes, I, I do have memories of, like, I mean, Mario was on many, many tears, but it had been Wayne Gretzky who'd been on the tears before. So that kind of was Mario's, I don't wouldn't say his first, but kind of what he brought it really up to the Gretzky level. Yeah, and I mean, Matthews is is that guy right now. I mean, the, 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 the point I was making earlier to Ben, and I think it kind of hammers home the, the spot the league's in right now, is that we all sit here and we know Connor McDavid is the best player. Like, we can sit here and have our dalliances with this guy for a moment, but when, when the, all the cards are on the table, McDavid's the best player. But McKinnon had a stretch earlier this year where everyone was saying, oh, what are you talking about? That's the best player on the planet right now. That's your Hart Trophy winner. And then Matthews has, a, has back-to-back games where he rips off hat tricks. He, he gets Tyler Bertuzzi to score, truly doing the unthinkable. It just hammers home how good those guys are, that we, we all unequivocally look at McDavid as the best. But it seems like Matthews and McKinnon each seemingly have one or two of these stretches a year where we go, hold on, hold on. Are we sure McDavid's the best? Well, yeah, and again, that kind of goes back about to um, emulate Wayne Gretzky for whatever number of years it was. That So, yeah, if, you, if you're starting a team today, Connor McDavid's the guy you pick. But the Hart Trophy, I was really glad Austin Matthews won it in a year that he deserved it. And this year, my vote still would be Nathan McKinnon right now. And, of course, that's no slight. We're splitting hairs. But uh, just, uh, you know, and also it's a reminder that particularly because he re-upped for four years, where despite the lack of playoff success, you are probably, we are all probably watching the greatest Toronto Maple Leaf player ever. And we'll be saying that 20 years down the road to friends, kids, and grandkids about that. So it, it really is something special. So, so yeah, I, I, I agree if, you, if you're ranking them. But I think uh, if you're really watching closely every year, you can make a case for, you know, one other player or whatever about being the Hart Trophy guy while acknowledging that if you had a first overall pick, it would be McDavid. You, you said it there, the, the idea that this guy almost certainly will go down as the greatest Leaf of all time. I mean, you know, some people maybe want to make the argument he could already be there, but it's with the caveat, if there's some playoff success. How much playoff success is needed? Because it's obviously more than, than winning a round. And, you know, for his legacy here, I'm sure he feels like he needs to win a cup. But... Is it a trip to the conference final? And again, like no one's going to sit here and hope that that's how the Austin Matthews Leafs tenure ends with a trip to the conference final. But what is the kind of floor that he needs to reach in terms of team success to actually be in that conversation where we don't throw the caveat of, but he was never able to do it? Because, you know, Sundin, not that he was the greatest, but he was that guy forever and they made a conference final. And, I, you know, we would have all loved more, but I don't think people look at that as a knock on him that he couldn't get past that. What's the kind of floor that Matthews or, or this era of Leafs teams has to reach for us to actually be able to call Matthews the greatest of all time in, in terms of Leafs? Well, kind of twofold. Look, I think flat out you, you acknowledge it. You know, it's not his fault. So he'll be the, he will, if it keeps going, be the greatest Leaf of all time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now if playoff success is lacking, he still is the greatest Leaf of all time. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Marcel Dion is the you know greatest player not to win a Stanley Cup. And it doesn't take away from what he did all those years pretty well, mostly with the Los Angeles Kings, you know, so that, but that is a void for him. And then you get, okay, the Kevin Garnett situation that the Minnesota Timberwolves would get eliminated every year in the first round. So he went to the Celtics and won, or Ray Bork went to the Colorado Avalanche and won. Like I, I'm getting way ahead of myself here, but I don't know if that ends up mm. happening hypothetically at the end of Austin Matthews career. But yeah, let's face it. Everybody wants completeness that we see those, see him and same with Connor McDavid, you know, have a lot of years going deep in the playoffs. But uh, 
I think you have to separate the two if it, if it disappointingly so came to that. God, uh, can I just be on record? Because yeah, now I'm playing that out. Like if that happens and Austin Matthews wins the Stanley Cup somewhere else, don't do the Ray Bork thing Please, where you return no to Toronto with the Cup. Imagine Ray Bork returning to the poor loser sports village of Boston and saying they had to have a parade for something. <laughs> oh, no. If only he knew it was to come. Uh, with the Boston sports scene, uh, certainly winning a second Hart Trophy would add to Austin Matthews' legacy. And still, I, I feel like getting short shrift in the discussion. Again, going back to that that uh, nine hat trick season from Mary Lemieux, finished second in Hart Trophy voting too. Yeah, like Wayne Gretzky. But like, okay, exp- do you remember? Like, I, I don't want you to get too far in the way back machine. And maybe you don't remember. But like, the Penguins finished with more points during the regular season. They both made the playoffs. Um, at that time, Mario's 84, or 85 goals was the third most ever scored in a single season. The guy that had the top two was Wayne. He was the only guy outside of Wayne to be in that discussion. He had 199 points. Wayne scored 54 goals that season, had 168. What, why did Mario finish up the track to, to Wayne in the Hart Trophy voting that season? Well, we have to question the people in our profession. Name names. Whose that, fault was I, it? it it, and, and also, I guess it's the first year he went uh, to Los Angeles, so there was all that hype about that. But there's no question. There's no question. Mario Lemieux was uh, that year was when he brought it to the next level, and uh, and he should have won the Hart Trophy. And mm-hmm. it's the media members that vote on the Hart Trophy, and and uh, Wayne would have got it just by reputation and maybe the the big splash in the West Coast. I don't know if you if you you have a like a bit of jealousy that we call Damian Cox our Leafs historian. Like, do you want to be on that level? Do you want to be our, one of our Leafs historian? Do you want to be co-historian? Oh, Damien can't remember anything. You know, you can, uh, our dog Blue would be better than Damien as far as historian goes, whatever. Just, you know, I'm not uh, questioning Damien's hockey knowledge and all that, but we'll talk about stuff and I have to jog his memory about things. So I got Damien's ass kicked, no problem. I mean, give me something better than that. I love that. Uh, can we just rack that for the intro next time we have Damo on the show, please, uh, Santos? Yeah, yeah love- and, if you, and if you lose it, I'll retape it, okay? Okay, gladly. Uh, we, okay. we know you're not shy, uh, Gordo. That's why we, that's why we love, love having you on. So, uh, Morgan Riley, uh, this team continues to win games without him. It's a conversation. You and I have had a million times. We all bandy it about. No one's sitting here saying the Leafs are a better team without Morgan Riley. At least I'm certainly not. But it is remarkable, their record. But you look at their record without Tavares in the lineup. It's great. You look at their record without Matthews in the lineup over the course of his career. It's been great. What do you think it, or does it say anything about this Leafs team that, you know, when it's be it Riley, be it Tavares, be it Matthews, when one of the big boys is missing from a lineup, it, it, it just seems like they're able to, I don't even know if it's raising their game to another level or just seemingly kind of finding a way. But, man, it's it's stark how how good their record is when they're missing some of the big boys. Yeah, and Brent, I think this adds to the frustration about uh, the, the playoffs is that you see guys seizing the opportunity to play. Bobby McMahon's a great example here. Wasn't going to play last Monday or wasn't or last Tuesday, wasn't slated to play in that game. They got the opportunity. And then why can that not correlate into better depth in the playoffs, right? And I think I think that's been a big part about it by and large is, and, and, you know, it's a short-term thing. Like, I mean, um, I think if someone's gone long-term, you know, it diminishes, but there's that two, three, four games, uh, whatever it may be, you get that injection and you get that opportunity. And, and uh, uh, some people do seize it in the big, big picture. Michael Bunting seized it in the big picture when he was here, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that's what we saw. Boy, 
uh, I was, when I was talking to Ben last week, I mean, man, oh, man, uh, you couldn't come up with a more perfect recipe than that St. Louis game because first you had the shock that, okay, you knew Riley was out, and then you and then you heard that Marner and Tavares were out, and you kind of go, what are you talking about, right? And, mm-hmm. uh, and they came up with their – as a team and those guys, so hopefully – Hopefully, you know, when guys like Bertuzzi and Domi contributing more this past week, like you hope that becomes something that it, whether you want to call it contagious or, or becomes a, a sign of them being able to have more prominent roles depth-wise starting game number 83. Uh, before I let you go, you have a, a story out on the uh, Toronto Star right now, why the NHL trade deadline has to be different for Brad Living's Maple Leafs. This is a Leafs team that now finds itself back in the top three in the Atlantic. They're, they're, like they got games in hand on both Boston and Florida, um, they've held their own against some of the top teams in the NHL. I know we're not that far removed from this team being on a four-game losing streak and, and, and you know, Sheldon Keefe being on the chopping block. But how do you view Brad Living's mindset as we head towards early March? Well, I'm just saying that, you know, he's got to we, – we don't need – we love the big splash in Toronto. You love the big splash. It's sexy. And then last year – they really went big. I mean, they went big on two trades, the McCabe trade and the Ryan O'Reilly trade. And before they went the year before, they gave up stuff for Giordano. The year before, they gave up assets for Nick Foligno. And I'm just saying, uncle, that's it. You know, now that Matthews is re-upped and Nylander's re-upped, you know, you got those guys. And you got to hope that Domi and, and Domi and Bertuzzi are, are trade deadline pickups in the sense that they're one-year contracts. Mm-hmm. And trade deadline pickups are generally hired guns with expiring contracts. You cannot keep giving up assets. It's done. You can't keep giving up first-round picks. You can't give up, you know, someone like Cowan or Minton. You can't. So I'm just saying that's done. Okay, no big splash. But in the shallow end of the trading pool, like the best trade Kyle Dubas made last year was Luke Shen for a third-round pick. And to me, those are the kind of depth deals that Brad Living should be looking at, certainly for a defenseman for starters. So, I, yeah, it's just you can't keep, you know. And, and last year I was, I was fully on board. I was fully on board with the moves that were made. I mean, went for the fences. And it was, uh, and again, even though in some cases it was, uh, they won a playoff round, so they succeeded, whatever that word definition is, the way they showed up with Florida just showed going for the fences didn't change anything. Mm-hmm. So no more. Uncle, you can't, you can't keep you. These are the guys that have to lead you to whatever the promised land is, and other pieces have to provide the depth to get you to whatever that playoff promised land is. No more, no more big splash. No more the draft starts and Toronto doesn't pick till the fifth round. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no Ryan O'Reilly out there either. So that's, that's, that's yeah, part of it. Right. Uh, Gordo, always a pleasure. Again, the book is Revival, the chaotic, colorful journey of the 1977-78 Toronto Maple Leafs co-written with Damian Cox, also writing for the Toronto Star like Damian Cox. You guys are like the Bobsy twins. You're both Leafs historians. <laughs> well, you know, we've had a... Very good friendship, and we are very different. So if we were twins, we were definitely separated at birth. But uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's been nice uh, uh, connecting with him uh, the past year about the book. I can tell you that. Gordo, always a pleasure. See you, pal. See you, gentlemen. Happy family day. You too. Enjoy shaking the family day bush. But, well, he, he said it's under the family day bush, and I just figured that's what you would, you would do with it there. Which one of – so you – Hold on. Okay. Gord Stellick was our insider, and it was course. brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com now to your secondary point. Uh, so you remember how you got very offended at the mere suggestion that I thought there was a possibility that I could maybe be cooler than you? 
Yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. I don't remember. Which one of Gord or Damien do you think would be more offended at them being twins? Because again, like they're buddies. So it's like, you have to be like, if my buddy's like, oh, we could be brothers. I'd be like, yeah. Yeah. Well, why do you think that of me? Yeah. I look like you? Absolutely mm. not. I feel like if I say something, that's going to be unintentionally insulting to somebody. So I laid I'm a trap for you, and yeah. you just walked right around. No Good thanks. job by you. No Good thanks. job by you. We should have a roundtable with both of them on at the same time. We should. It was family day. We should have dragged their carcasses in here to do it. <laughs> right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. All right. We're going to drag Keegan Matheson's uh, carcass in here from Dunedin, Florida, next uh, as we talk about the Blue Jays. Opening of spring training. First full squad workout tomorrow. This fan morning show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Blue Jays, first full squad workout tomorrow in Dunedin, and then first spring training game on Saturday on Sportsnet at 1 o'clock, and then, like, a bunch of other games. That your your excitement level? No meaning. Um, we're going to talk to a man who I, I don't know. Is he going to watch them all? Is he going to be in Dunedin for the, the entirety of the never-ending uh, excursion that is Major League Baseball spring training? I don't know. We'll find out next. Keegan Matheson, Blue Jays reporter for MLB.com. How much of this are you going to be in Florida for? It breaks my heart to tell you all of it, Ben. Uh, Holy cow! Back. Holy cow! of spring. It's, uh, I've spent a lot of my life in this town. You know, it's... it's and also in the same hotel. So I think I'm getting close to a year of my life in that same place. Uh, I try not to break it down. But uh, it, it's, it's good for a few days, and then there are some days you're aware you're in Florida. Yeah, I'll bet. Um, okay, <laughs> that's insane because – Just listen. like congrats and good luck and sorry, I think is the, the exact yeah. way to phrase that. No. The absolute correct sentiment, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. Like early days of shit. Yeah. Like I'm jealous. And then probably, I don't know, March 13th, I'll, I'll start to feel sorry for you. Um, So you'd be a perfect person to ask this question of then because yeah. And I saw you tweeting out some best shape of your life stuff. Okay. Uh, who is the leader in the clubhouse for best shape of their life? Oh, give me Ricky Tiedemann. Uh, their number one prospect, the left-hander. I, there's some other candidates. Manoa looks good. Kirky's trimmed down. We're going to see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. today taking batting practice. But, man, Ricky Tiedemann, when he walked in, he had that incredible physical transformation a couple of years ago. And when he walked by me the first time here the other day, I, I said, what is going on here, man? <laughs> When I spoke to him the other day, uh, I, I asked him if they gave him Robbie Ray's pants, and he said, no, these are just last year's pants. So I, I agree, which is normally a, a problem, guys, that I'm running into for much different reasons, but uh, his appears to have been the uh, that muscle type of weight that people mm. talk about so glowingly. I've never heard he of that. absolutely fantastic at this point. And for a pitcher like him, you see so many guys around baseball who can throw 98 and who can dazzle you here and there, but it's about holding up over the course of a season. That's not the exciting thing. That's not the sexy thing players want to talk about, but I think he's learned 
that you need to have a little more weight, a little more build on you to hold up. He looks incredible. Now, somebody looks incredible in every camp around baseball, I'm sure. But when you have a guy like that, 21 years old, who's really coming through that final stage of his physical maturation, that's what I actually get excited about. When guys are deeper into their career, there's always a question of, well, if you're in the best shape, did you get out of the best shape? It's, uh, it's a bit of a pendulum that swings, but Ricky T looks amazing. So I, I think that's obviously all great that a guy's in amazing shape, especially when you point out it's a little different when a guy's coming into his own as opposed to maybe refining something that he should have had all along. And, you know, maybe maybe this is not the right way to go about it, but I think you being there and seeing him in person, it's the best way to, to answer it is that with a pitcher, I hear that and you love guys putting on muscle and you love guys being stronger, but, you know, and I, obviously the sports science department's been all over that, but where my mind immediately goes is, do you lose some of your flexibility? Like, is there, how much will you be kind of watching Tiedemann and not just you, but the sports science department, the, the team as a whole to see how much that muscle could potentially impact, I mean, even little things like mechanics, delivery, because you want to be strong to be able to hold up over the course of the season, like you said, but, I mean, flexibility and pliability is also such a huge, huge part of being a pitcher, and you know, it's one thing to get in better shape or get more tone, but when you hear about the weight gain in terms of muscle, I don't know that those things always kind of go hand in hand, at least in my mind's eye. Exactly. It's such a baseball thing because along with the optimism comes a little bit of, uh uh-oh, what if this goes wrong? Um, And when you look at flexibility, at natural athleticism, look at guys like Chris Bassett, Bassett, Kevin Gosman. They are not built bulked up. They're in great shape, but they're fitness is more about that flexibility repeating those movements and recovering you know i'm always reminded of those noah Syndergaard years where he would show up looking ridiculous but something would blow on him so for ricky tiedemann you, you do want there to be a balance for any young pitcher you want there to be a balance where they are still able to move naturally and that's such a bigger focus now. Uh, they measure so many things here every single day. I'm seeing nutritionists and trainers I've never seen before. It, it's an army of people down around they here. They found more? Apparently. <laughs> they, they must have thought up some new syllables and titles to give people. <laughs> but it's a, they have an amazing team here. Chris Bassett just heaped praise on it yesterday. So that needs to be a big part of this. And for a guy like Ricky Tiedemann, I, I think he's – He's also someone who doesn't have to max out. You don't see him grunting and dripping sweat to throw 96. He was throwing 96 here looking easy the other day, and it was 9 a.m. I mean, guys, I was barely awake, and he's up there doing that. So incredibly impressive at this point in February, uh, at that time of day as well. So he is only, what, 21 years old, um, and and there, there's still, you, you hope if you're a Blue Jays fan, plenty of runway for uh, his career. To, to, to really start to blossom, but he hit AAA a season ago, but the injuries kind of derailed him as far as the innings total, only pitched 44 of them in minor league baseball a season ago. Um, what do you see his role as? He's not going to break camp barring something really unforeseen with this team, and also, like, I don't know if you can, you can you can have him starting every fifth day to begin the season. What what is his role? Because it does feel like it's the major leagues at some point, and and that's not a, out of the realm of possibility. But is it as a starter? And what do you do with the lack of innings? Yeah, at a certain point, your best pitchers have to be on the team. And if Ricky Tiedemann's not one of those best thirteen pitchers yet, I mean, my goodness, it's not going to take long. So, the tricky part of this equation, guys, is last year between the minors and the AFL. 62 innings that you can measure 
But I talked to Ricky about this yesterday, saying, well, you spent three months at the complex here. I know you weren't just sitting around. There are other innings you can add on to that, but still, it's such a delicate thing, especially when you are throwing 98 miles an hour. The, just, the human body is not supposed to throw a baseball. So there's a lot to measure here in terms of the shoulder, the elbow, the obliques. With Tiedemann, I, I think there's a lot of potential for that kind of hybrid role coming up mid-year. You just want to make sure you're saving big innings for the big league club, and you need to time that perfectly almost. So he does not need to be going six, seven innings. Last year when he started out in double-A, you were seeing a lot of that three innings, three and two-thirds innings every five, six days just to keep him going, keep him sharp. I think you could see something like that. And when he comes up, whether he's in the bullpen, starting, whatever he's doing, there just aren't many people who can do what Ricky Tiedemann does with a baseball. There will be a role for him, and I think a hybrid kind of flexible year makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's always, uh, quite honestly, it's just exciting to have somebody who's supposed to be at least potentially part of the long-term future come up and, yeah. and play a role. And, you know, if it expands and expands, obviously you'd, you'd love to see that. Uh, somebody who the team went out and brought into camp, Daniel Vogelbach, uh, the, the latest of, uh, you know, this iteration of player. You look at Escobar as well there. Uh, what do you make of what these guys do to the kind of camp math? I mean, I would expect Vogelbach to, to break camp with the team. I'm not sure where you're at on that. Obviously, when you throw in the the Espinals and the Davis Schneiders of the world, those guys have options, so maybe those are easier decisions than not. But where are you at on the kind of camp math and how things are complicated by, you know, Daniel Vogelbach being the latest guy to come in uh, on a uh, camp tryout, basically? Well, there's a million infielders right now, guys, at this point. So when you look at Escobar, he, he overlaps with a dozen different guys who can play second and third and a bit of shortstop. Vogelbach seems like more direct competition for Spencer Horwitz, and those two are completely different types of hitters. Mm. Vogelbach is going to be your platoon guy who ideally crushes right-handed pitching, gets you some power, but you're not going to use him against lefties. Spencer Horwitz, uh, a little more balanced, and he's much more garnered towards that on-base tool, work some walks, maybe not as much raw power, but still a really impressive young hitter. Vogelbach, I think, is a matter of maybe philosophy and strategy instead of actual competition in camp. I feel like it's becoming less of a who hits more in camp situation. Do the Blue Jays want that style? Do they want that bench bat who crushes some righties? And I think this is where really Don Mattingly comes in, that offensive coordinator tag that I know folks have poked fun at through the year, but now that I'm starting to understand it, I'm starting to like it, frankly, the offensive coordinator in terms of simplifying this offense and simplifying the strategy. So if they want that bench bat who can come in and really flip some games and you have Turner at third base a bit more, maybe that makes sense. Uh, but at the same time, if it's a minor league deal, collect a hundred of these guys, mm-hmm. see who pops, see who has a good spring. Everyone else can find another job. I'm sure at the end of spring. Okay, good. You understand what an offensive coordinator does in Major League Baseball. So It took a while. It did take a while. Explain yeah. it to me, because I, I, I'd like to know, one, if he's wearing a headset. Like, I, what happens? I really need them to lean into the bit. Like, I want a headset. I want a play sheet. <laughs> I want him smashing tablets when things aren't going well. Oh, yeah. I, I want the, the hoodie with the sleeves cut off. I mean, Johnny Baseball already. I mean, the story of the spring comes in with just an incredible beard. My, I'm, I feel like I've been, been rocked by that. But when we had it explained to us by Ross Atkins the other day, 
the general idea, and I promise you it's more complicated than this when you really get going, but the general idea is that last year Dave Hutchins led the quote-unquote strategy part of the offense, and Guillermo Martinez led the fundamentals, which means the actual physical act of hitting, classic hitting coach. There were a lot of voices coming from a lot of directions, and when you have as much information as modern MLB clubs have, you can really be drinking from a fire hose or a few fire hoses uh, sometimes. Now it's all coming through Don Mattingly. It's going to be a little more simplified, one voice with all of these messages. And I think that's a good thing. We still need to see how it works, of course. But I really think that's such an advantage in baseball now. Teams have so much information. It's about the people skills and making it make sense to these guys, especially when you're dealing with 26 players who do not want the same information in the same way at the same time. It's about simplifying it for these guys. And at the end of the day, just letting them be baseball players with the best information. Yeah, is is that like a, a, an organizational shift in philosophy, not just with the, the offensive side of the, the, the game? Um, of course, we're all going back to the Jose Barrios, uh, the drama Communication uh, and and the way Game Two against the Twins played itself out, and some realization it it felt like from Ross Atkins and Mark Shapiro that something needs to change as far as the communication here. That it's yeah, you you want to take advantage of of the the things at your disposal when it comes to coaches and technology and yada yada yada. But there's like been too much of like it, you, you mentioned it, drinking from a fire hose. That there's. Like, what is the philosophy, and is it just on the offensive side of the ball, or is it like, am I right to like group in again how the the messaging of those in-game decisions are are going to happen this season? I think you're right to group in the full team. It might be a little more obvious and a little more, uh, if I may borrow a word, transparent uh, mm. on the offensive <laughs> side. But uh, I'm starting to see how this makes sense, and it's extremely broad terms. Again, it needs to actually work. But I like the idea because there is so much information available. And the way that Vladdy wants to hear that is going to be different than the way that Bo and George and Dalton Varsha want to hear it. Some guys want everything. Some guys love the data. Other guys want it to be put in their own language. Other guys want it only when they ask for it, that type of thing. So I think that customizing that to the players, but also just simplifying it, trying not to have as much in your head because – I mean, guys, every spring when I'm standing down here behind the mounds, behind the catchers as a guy throws a bullpen, I don't know how anyone hits ever. I don't know how anyone hits over zero in Major League Baseball. It is hard enough. And if you've got 20 different ideas going through your head, it's going to be harder. So simplifying things is at least a very good step one, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, it's like Ben and I are both like big golf guys, and it's like the less going on in my brain when I'm trying oh, to do that. Yeah. So, so much better. That's why you kill the brain cells with a little bit of alcohol. Yeah, the, not you. You, <laughs> you, no, you're like you know, you 45 days in Florida. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, obviously, a big reason for this team's success, and you know, I know it's funny to talk about it that way, given how things ended. But you know, made the playoffs was the successful year, at least in that regard, was the starting pitching, and you know, the pitching staff as a whole, but specifically the starting staff and you know no one goes into a season planning for a little bit of regression but you know if we talk about positive regression on the hitting side of things there's always the negative side of that as well how much of a step back can the Blue Jays afford the rotation to take and I'm not saying I expect it to be one but you know Kevin Gosman at least through the first half of the season you got as good a version as you were going to see out of him Chris Bassett exactly the same thing Jose Barrios kind of dream season Kikuchi look what we were able to see and obviously the other side of that coin is 
as Manoa, but I don't really feel like this team, and not that I expect it to happen, but they set a pretty high bar for themselves in terms of what they were able to get out of the rotation. Can they afford any regression really in, in that regard? They have to be ready for some because the entire conversation this offseason is that, well, the offense will get better. Vladdy will get better. Everything will be okay. That's assuming the rotation is fine, and that's not something you can assume in baseball. My God, it's just not. And Chris Bassett mentioned that yesterday. He's a guy who understands how this works, which I really respect. He wasn't being pessimistic, but he was saying, listen, it's probably not going to go that well again this year. So they're going to need some depth. The last two seasons, guys, I don't think this team's starting rotation depth has been nearly good enough. You, Ross Stripling saved them a couple of years ago. Trevor Richards, Bowden Francis saved them last year. And if they had one more injury, it was going to get ugly pretty quick. This year, you have Ricky Tiedemann. You have Yariel Rodriguez, who will build up eventually. They like Mitch White. But I think that Bowden Francis can, can really be something on this team. Like any pitcher we talk about nowadays, it could be in 20 different roles. But he looks fantastic. You know, Chris Bassett said this team has seven starters. And, you know, he went as far to say is if Bowden Francis or Ricky T came up and turned into the number one, no one would be surprised. Mm. It's, uh, there's a little bit of hyping up your teammates there, but he really believes in these guys. I think the depth is much better, and they're much better suited to handle that now. Uh, before I let you go, and by the way, I was just looking at the guys that made starts for this Blue Jays team. Hey, Wes Parsons made uh, a start for the Blue Jays last wow. year. Don't That's remember right. that one. Oh, yeah, he gave up uh, nine runs. All right, anyway. So as expected. <laughs> um, uh, before that you go, Keegan, uh, David Schneider is is one of the guys that's most intriguing to me as we, we go through spring and was not even in Major League uh, spring training at all a season ago and all of a sudden finds himself I think as a favorite to break camp I don't see a scenario where he doesn't break camp with this team like that would be quite a thing I know he tailed off at the end of last season but to put forth that like month work worth of work combined with what he did in AAA last season be quite a message to be sending to that guy it's like let's see it again that's I, I think he's gonna break camp but like in, in what capacity where, where do you see David Schneider on this team I feel like he kind of fits into a similar role we talk about in recent years for Kevin Biggio, where you don't exactly know where it's going to come, but by the end of the year, he's probably into 110, 120 games, that type of deal. A lot of second base, I think. He might be able to emerge as that primary second baseman. I can see that happening. And then some left field as well. That's when you can start to play a bit of those platoon matchups. But Schneider needs to be on this team, period, as long as nothing crazy happens in camp. Because not only is he good, a good baseball player, but he represented so much of what the Blue Jays did not have last year. He showed up and started pulling the ball in the air, and I thought, my God, I never thought I'd see it again. <laughs> he needs to be in that lineup, that power, that potential to really change some games. Uh, I know guys that the, the Blue Jays tried to change their offensive identity a bit last year, but if you add just a little bit of power, it covers up for a lot of the things that go wrong. And, and I think Schneider represents that power potential and should be out there as often as you can get him in this lineup. Uh, I hope so. Fingers crossed. I can't wait for the first spring training game and then kind of not paying much attention to the games uh, until like the last couple of spring training. But you can't wait to read you every single day for the next month and a half. Keegan. I heard you're even keeping a scorebook. That's what I heard as well. <laughs> <laughs> Best of luck. Fare thee well, buddy. You're, you're a Florida man for sure. Love it. I'll talk to you guys soon. Take care. See ya. Keegan Matheson, MLB.com. Again, like he's living out, Many uh, dream. a child's yeah. dream, right? 
mine. Yeah. And even in my career, man, wouldn't it be great to cover a team full time and all that travel? Oh, and we even talked about just like the idea of like, you know, like morning shows used to go yeah. down. To oh, sure. And that's, listen, that is still a dream because that's like a week, right? Yeah. As, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you come back and yeah. you're like, that was fun. Mm hmm. 45 days or whatever he said, <laughs> and trying to just squeeze stories oh, yeah. out of this team, not every day, but like close to it mm -hmm. in spring training. Yeah. Yeah. Early days, you feel jealous you know, towards Keegan Matheson. Mid-March, you won't feel that way. You, you know what it's like, and this will be right on the tip of your tongue, this reference here. It's like when Homer goes to hell and they're like, so you like donuts. <laughs> yeah. But but the difference is, is like Homer's just like, this is sick. I love yeah. this. More donuts, please. <laughs> right. And it's like, I do think the most baseball sicko thinks they could handle it, but mm -hmm. even you. Even you would be like, okay, I, will, I could do a day. Yeah, okay. It, it, but it's it's more like this stage of my life. I do wonder, like, in my mid-20s, would I have signed up for, yeah, 45 days of just pure, unadulterated baseball right into the veins? Um, it's the, like, writing that would be hard for me. But the, no. Oh, you mean, like, doing the job that yeah. they're there to no, do? No, I could you just, could, like, sit there watching baseball. I could sit baseball. there and drink a beer and <laughs> yeah. watch baseball for two months straight. I could handle, yeah, I think we all could handle that. Uh, it's the, you know, the job part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kudos to, to Keegan Matheson, who is uh, down in Dundee for the duration. All right. Time now for the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, 19 plus bet responsibly. We have afternoon hockey action as the Toronto Maple Leafs in Missouri to play the St. Louis Blues on Sportsnet Ontario at one o'clock this afternoon at last check. The Leafs were limiting the Blues to only 15 shots mm -hmm. on goal against. It is the Leafs as pretty heavy favorites. Minus 161, Blues plus 135 at home. The total, six and a half, Brent. Say it with me. Trap game, baby. Mm. One o'clock, three straight games with a hat trick. We've been blowing smoke up their butt for 48 hours. It's on the road. It's a holiday. Weird game. Generally speaking, that does mean a good Mitch Marner game, but I'm taking the Blues here, plus 135. That's where I got to go. I, you know, the total, I'm not, I don't have a good feel for it there. Spread terrifies me always in hockey, so give me the Blues on the money line. I hate, hate to do it, but that's where I'm leaning. I don't discount that possibility, but it's hard not, especially when you get the extra half goal to take the under, mm. considering how the game played out in Toronto not that long ago. And with many of the the same primary players now, we we assume John Tavares is going to be back in the mm -hmm. lineup. But and I know the blue line's a little banged up yep. right now as well. Even Max Domi was was out with the maintenance day uh, yesterday when it comes to practice. But I still I, I like the under, especially a, a team that just scored nine goals. Yeah, I, I think the Leafs are going to be low to put up that lofty a total. Give me the under six and a half at minus one fifteen. That was the Wake and Rake, presented by Sports Interaction. Your homegrown sports book, 19 plus, bet responsibly. So whatever the result of tonight's game, I think we're back on as far as the discussion as to whether the Toronto Maple Leafs are good or not. Mm. Like good and, and like we'll explain it coming up in the next hour. Like good in like relative <laughs> terms, right? Because there's been many a point in this season where you're like, oh, this team stinks. Yeah. Like, they're in a playoff spot, but they're, like, 
they're just like with the jetsam and floatsam of the stanky teams mm-hmm. that are are gonna be you know like the the, the Red Wings yep. and and like and if you go to the Western Conference like the Blues or the mm-hmm. Predators like they're in that mold. Are they better than that type of team? Uh, we'll discuss next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.